I wrote you a, a little encouraging note, so I would like to share that with you at this time. So here it is. R. Olev Bilf Xifix Rin Tozwagul Yiv Bilfai Kizgli Deviv Tromert Gulchev Z Tivzg Gurnv Glitvizgli Rum Suzium Drugs Xirg. Doesn't that just bless your heart this morning? That's wonderful. It probably doesn't. Probably think I am weird, but I'd imagine if I talked like that for the next 40 minutes. You guys would be so uncomfortable. That could be fun, but I won't do that. Some of you might just up and leave. You know, this guy is crazy. But, but you'd hear that garble message differently if you knew the code. When you reverse the alphabet and you take the corresponding letters, here's what the message says. I love you, church. I'm glad to be your pastor. We're going to have a great time together in heaven with Christ. That's what I said. You just needed the code to understand how to hear what I said. The code turns the frustrating gibberish into pastoral encouragement. Well, in a similar way, God's law sounds unpleasant until you hear it with the gospel in mind. The gospel makes the sound of God's law pleasant. If the Christian life for you is law without grace, you'll be puffed up with pride or beat down with despair. But when you hear the law with the code of the gospel, the message of the law, it it remains the same, but you hear it with delight as the psalmist did. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit helps you hear the law with the gospel in mind so that you delight in the law and find joy and delight in doing the law. So I'm going to continue where I left off last week with how to cheerfully chase chastity, and I'll continue with number seven. But before I do, I want to encourage you with this, how to hear the law. The gospel allows us to love the law even when it points out our sin. But the law does more than point out our sin. The Ten Commandments are an illuminating light for our feet on the path of purity. We're we're trying to find our way in this dark world, and the Ten are lighted signs directing us which way to go. They say, over here, you know, this is the way to go. Don't, Don't go down that dangerous way. Come, this is the way to go. And I think we need to hear the law in that way. Now, the law is not the power to walk, our power to walk. The Spirit is our power. The law is our loving Father's guidance. Go this way, my child. Solomon wrote this to his son to help him avoid sexual immorality, Proverbs 6, 20 through 23. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. That's a great way for God's children to think about the Ten Commandments. When you walk, they'll lead you. They lead you. When you lie down, they watch over you. When you wake up, they counsel you. The law is a lamp to your feet. The law is a light to your path. 
Your heavenly Father graciously gives you the 10 to direct you away from harmful and wicked things and toward good things that will bless you all because he loves you. Brothers and sisters, God forbids unchastity because it's bad for you. God commends chastity because it's best for you. Believing this will prevent you from being discouraged by the law and help you be thankful for the law. This series is meant to do a few things. It's meant to sharpen your recognition of your sin, increase your hatred of your sin, deepen your thankfulness for God's grace and spirit, and excite you to make progress in holiness and love. As God's children, this series is teaching you how to love But the law is not the power to love. Only the gospel is the power to love. How to cheerfully chase chastity. We do it by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. As the Spirit sanctifies us, we love more and more. We come to God with open and empty hands, and he fills them with love and perseverance so that we progress in the direction of perfection. We progress in the direction of perfection. Here's how to cheerfully chase chastity from last week. One, glorify God in your body because you are one with Christ. Two, know that God's will for you is your sanctification. Three, relentlessly ask God to create in you a clean heart. Four, do not be conformed to this world, be conformed to Christ. Five, learn sound doctrine and how to live accordingly. Six, hang out with chaste and honest people who will encourage you to chastity. Now realize, please, that these are massive topics. We're not turning over some rocks. We're not doing that. Some important rocks. There are related topics that I'm not addressing in this sermon. We're just trying to understand the seventh, trying to understand what we need to put off and what we need to put on as God's beloved children who really want to please him. So let's continue with how to cheerfully chase chastity. This is is what we put on now. This is how we love. Number seven, pursue relational intimacy and sexual pleasure exclusively in marriage. Now, by relational intimacy, I mean deep friendship and love, mutual faithfulness, support, encouragement, sympathy, and love. I mean the fruit of the Spirit given as a gift inside and outside of the bedroom. And by sexual pleasure, I'm referring to sex itself, and the physical affection only appropriate for a husband and a wife. Now, singleness is good. Singles, don't be ashamed. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. You're in good company. That said, marriage is the norm in Scripture and in society. One significant way to cheerfully chase chastity is to get married and to give relational intimacy and sexual pleasure to your spouse. Marriage is like a fortress guarding a husband and a wife against sexual immorality. Careful, though. 
Marriage doesn't rid your heart of unchastity. Marriage doesn't rid your heart of unchastity. Only the gospel can purify the heart. Yet, yet marriage is a gift from God that can help you cheerfully chase chastity. Relational intimacy and sexual pleasure in marriage are a powerful force against sexual immorality. I'll show you from Scripture. In Proverbs 5, Solomon warns his son about the forbidden woman. Chasing her leads to death. Solomon tells his son, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. And instead of chasing the forbidden woman, listen to how Solomon wisely counseled his son to cheerfully chase chastity and sexual fulfillment with his wife. He said this, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Solomon encouraged his son to delight in the intoxicating love of his own wife. When, when a marriage is Christ-centered, selfless, sacrificial, patient, kind, forgiving, understanding, flexible, gentle, and when a husband and wife are being intoxicated by one another's love, adultery and sexual sin become less and less and less appealing. This doesn't mean sex within marriage makes an adulterous heart chaste. Marriage doesn't solve the problem of lust and idolatry in the heart. Christ is the only answer. So trust him first and foremost as the solution to lust and idolatry. But a healthy marriage protects and promotes chastity in a wonderful way. Only the Holy Spirit sanctifies. Amen? But a husband and wife can help protect against promiscuity and cheer you on to chastity. Listen to what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 7. This is really, really helpful to understand. And it relates directly to obeying the seventh. Paul wrote this. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The love shared between a husband and wife helps protect both of them from breaking the seventh. The flesh is weak and a husband and wife are stronger when they are enjoying one another. Sex shouldn't be an obsession, an idol, or a demand, but it should be a loving gift freely and frequently given for mutual protection and pleasure. The Bible teaches this. 
Paul said, and listen carefully, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Folks, sexual immorality is rampant in our culture. Rampant in our culture. For Christians, sexual immorality is a big temptation. Just open your eyes. It's everywhere. Temptation after temptation. The world, however, doesn't really see sexual immorality as a problem. The world treats sexual immorality as good and acceptable. Hooking up, friends with benefits, fornication, pornography and self-gratification, cohabitation, homosexuality, polyamory, and adultery if the spouse has problems or is a monster. It's like the world's motto is do whatever feels good as long as there's mutual consent. Additionally, the world often denigrates marriage. The law helps us see sexual immorality of all kinds as horrific evil. And since our flesh is weak and sexual immorality is tempting, God graciously gives most of us relational intimacy and sexual pleasure in marriage to guard against sexual immorality and to help us cheerfully chase chastity. Paul added in 1 Corinthians 7, 8 and 9, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So understand that singleness is good. Singleness is good. But with singleness comes abstinence, and that's too much for many people. So if a single person cannot exercise self-control, they should get married as one way to help them remain pure. Paul said, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. The world says that if you're burning with passion, just go hook up. That's how you fix that. Just go have sex. Get what you want as long as it's consensual and avoid the self, uh, selfless commitment of marriage. And that's not chaste and honoring to God. That's breaking the seventh. That's pursuing death. Marriage and the relational intimacy and sexual pleasure of marriage encourage obedience to the seventh. Marriage cannot transform a lustful and idolatrous heart. Only the life, the cross, the resurrection of Christ has the power to do something like that. But marriage is God's wonderful gift within which relational intimacy and sexual pleasure are enjoyed for the glory of God and the good of others. Just so I'm clear, sex should not be the main focus in a marriage. If it is, something is wrong. Christ must be the main focus along with the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When all of that, Christ and the fruit of the Spirit, are the pursuit, are the focus, are the goal, satisfying sex takes shape and becomes extremely helpful in the pursuit of holiness. This sermon's not even about marriage. It's about the seventh, about cheerfully chasing chastity, which pertains to singles and marrieds. But please understand that God has given marriage as a wonderful gift to help people obey the seventh. Marriage is not law, not a command. You, you don't have to get married. 
but it is a helpful and a good gift for many. Eight, be modest primarily for Christ's sake. And this is such a big topic. I can only say a little bit. There's a lot I'm not saying here. First, this point is for women and men. This point is for women and men. Modesty is for both women and men. And modesty is not simply about what you put on your body. Modesty is also about how you move your body and what comes out of your mouth. Modesty and its relationship with lust is very misunderstood. There's a lot of baggage involved with this, this topic. It would be easy to blame a dirty and lust-filled heart on a woman's or a man's immodesty, as if it was their fault. That's unfair. And yet, Christian men and women are trying hard to fight off lust and to have pure minds and to have good intentions, and many women and men are not helping them cheerfully chase chastity. It's not helping. And it's not godly to say, hey, whether they lust or not is entirely on them. If they have a dirty mind, that's not on me. I can wear what I want, move how I want, say what I want. That's not right. That's not right. We all have a responsibility to dress, move, and speak modestly for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. Additionally, some women make the argument that they are not responsible for the lust in men's hearts, and probably vice versa. And that's partly right, but it's incomplete. See, everyone has responsibility. Rachel Held Evans, you might know the name, was a theological liberal and had some good thoughts, but was unbiblical and unhelpful at significant points. She wrote an article titled Modesty. I don't think it means what you think it means. She makes some uh, good points, made some good points, but misses some other very important points which are essential to the discussion. So her conclusions are, I think, very dangerous. She writes about the sexual lust of men related to how women dress. She rightly argues that women are often objectified, that lust is a problem of a man's heart and therefore is his responsibility, and that too often responsibility for lust in a man's heart is placed on women and they are blamed for having this bewitching effect on, on men. What I think she misses in her article is that women and men have a responsibility to encourage others' chastity. It's like she argued for impunity for women who want to dress immodestly, as if that doesn't even matter. It's almost as if she was encouraging immodesty in women by putting responsibility entirely on men and not on women at all. And this misses the point of the seventh. The problem is what Rachel Held Evans didn't say. She was imbalanced. The problem is lust in the heart, but there is actually another problem. Enticing someone to lust is also breaking the seventh. As Heidelberg 109 rightly says, God forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. Now, none of us are responsible for the lust in someone else's heart. 
But we are responsible for the things that we do and say that entice others to unchastity, including what we wear. Evans didn't talk about that responsibility. Dressing, moving, and speaking modestly is as much a part of the seventh as avoiding lust in the heart. We do have the responsibility to love others in this way, and we ought to be very glad to do it. And here's where I think Evans' mistake is perhaps most notable. She gave women this advice. So my advice for women looking for bathing suits this season is this. Don't dress for men. Dress for yourself. It's not your responsibility to please men with either your sex appeal or your modesty. Each man is different, so it would be a fool's errand anyway. Instead, prioritize strength, dignity, and good deeds, and then dress accordingly. Evan said, don't dress for men, dress for yourself. What a self-centered piece of advice. Women and men alike shouldn't dress for themselves. They should dress for the glory of Christ and the good of their neighbor. The, the message of the law is be modest primarily for Christ's sake. Our bodies belong to Christ. And so what we put on our bodies and how we move our bodies ought to glorify and honor Christ. Additionally, think of others. Modesty is one way to love others. God doesn't call us to modesty because our bodies are gross and dirty and need to be covered up for that reason. So whose responsibility is it when it comes to lust in the seventh commandment? The one looking and listening or the one dressing, moving, and speaking? Both. Both. We all have a responsibility to put off lust, to put lust to death in our hearts, and to dress, move, and speak in ways that help our neighbor cheerfully chase chastity, men and women. Genesis 2.25 says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's great. And there was no sin. No sin at all. But sin brought shame. Genesis 3, 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made, loin, made themselves loincloths. But then, pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, blood was shed to cover shame. Genesis 3.21 says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God killed animals, blood shed, and made leather clothes to cover Adam's and Eve's shame. Clothing, nakedness is inseparable from sin. Naked bodies didn't become gross, they didn't become inherently dirty, but sin brought shame. And covering your body appropriately is necessary for godliness. But today, people just want to show, their, just strut their stuff, baby, put it out there. I'm not thinking of anybody but me. And so they show everyone their bodies without shame because one, they're ignorant of sin and the associated shame and they're ignorant of God's one atoning sacrifice in Christ. The gospel makes people modest for Christ's sake. The gospel makes them care about what they wear, how they move, and how they speak because they want to selflessly please Christ and please others. Evan's article is dangerous. 
And modesty relates to ostentatious clothing as well. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 says, Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And I would say the same is true for men. Now, we can look stylish. Okay, we don't have to look frumpy. I'm gonna pick the worst possible looking thing in the store, a smock or something, I don't know, just a moo-moo, I don't know, are they popular? But, but the seventh demands we love others with our modesty and never put a stumbling block in front of another, not because our bodies are gross or dirty. That's not the reason. But because modesty honors Christ and encourages chastity in others, the seventh demands we present our bodies in ways that encourage others to chastity. When Jesus said, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart, it makes a whole lot of biblical sense here that a woman would not entice a man to lustful intent, would not help him get there by the way that she looks, by the way that she dresses and moves, and vice versa. Who's responsible? Everyone. Because the seventh tells us things to put off and things to put on. There's more to explore there, I know. I must move on. Nine, express thankfulness to God instead of filthiness to others. Ephesians 5 verse 4 is pretty straightforward. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unceasing thankfulness is a powerful force against sexual immorality. Now, isn't it true that we will be more prone to sexual immorality if we are critical and censorious, have a critical and censorious spirit regarding our spouse? We nitpick. We focus on ourselves. We're slow to forgive. How could you dare you? And we, we envy other spouses. Boy, they, he's not like that. Man, my husband's crazy. We forget that our spouse is a blessing from God. Our critical spirit and ingratitude end up being accomplices with lust in the crime of adultery. Ingratitude in singles can also lead them to, to sexual immorality. Being thankful encourages obedience to the seventh. Ten, exercise self-control in everything. Listen carefully. The lack of self-control in one area of life can very quickly become the lack of self-control in other areas of life. Intemperance is related to the seventh commandment. Proverbs 25, 28 says... A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Ouch. So self-control is a great defense against sin and sexual immorality. 
As I I read 1 Corinthians 7 before, we often lack self-control and Satan tempts us to indulge in sexual immorality, relational intimacy, and sexual pleasure in marriage help us exercise self-control. But self-control is not simply for sex. It's for everything. Titus 2, 11 and 12, they say this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And God is using the ten to train us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. The ten define what that life is. And don't forget, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit powerfully works self-control in us when we trust and when we depend on Christ. I think the next point relates to self-control. Number 11, cut off whatever entices you to sin. Delbert the diabetic delights in donuts. Daily, Delbert drives down delicious drive past Dunkin' Donuts. Delbert's desires are deep. Despite his diabetes, Delbert daily desires and devours delectable delights at Dunkin' Donuts. Does Delbert deserve Dunkin' Donuts? Delbert should dodge Dunkin' Donuts on delicious drive and drive down denial drive to delight in discipline instead of donuts. (laughs) If something entices you to unchastity, you must try to avoid it. Why play with fire around gas? Even the fumes can ignite people. And explode, Jesus taught, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is talking about restrictions, I think, not self-maiming. Jesus didn't mean that putting restrictions on yourself will change your heart, as if law can save us. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. However, restrictions encourage and help you cheerfully chase chastity. The flesh is weak. You can't trust yourself. I can't trust myself. Don't run into temptation. We pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, why run into it? Why why gravitate toward it? Don't run to those things. Avoid those things. Don't click there. Don't sit there. Don't drive there. Don't look there. Don't subscribe there. Don't talk there. And that sounds like a lot of don't, don't, don't. But... Don'ts are important to holiness, but there's another side of that. Not just don't. Instead, do the things that encourage chastity. God is calling you to avoid certain bad things in order that you may cheerfully chase the good things. Twelve, set your eyes on the eternal benefits of chastity. The eternal benefits of chastity are better than the momentary thrill of unchastity. As God's children, your eyes do not belong on indecent and impure things that excite unchastity in you. In his struggles, Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? 
there are better things to gaze upon. Much better things. Gaze upon Christ and the eternal benefits of chastity. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Trust Christ. Deny the lusts of the flesh. Put on Christ. Be sanctified by the Spirit and you will see God. He's worth it. Hebrews 12, 14 instructs us to strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You will not see God without spirit-wrought holiness. So strive for holiness. Fix your eyes on Christ and let him lead you in the way of holiness. And, and so you think to yourself, but I am so weak. I'm not strong enough to, to win this. It's just every day, just get pounded down. I, I wish I could do better. And I'm just so pathetic sometimes. Do you know Christ understands your weaknesses, your human frailties, without sin, never sin, but he understands our frame. He understands us. The law helps you know which way not to go, which way to go, but it doesn't give you power. It, it doesn't compel you. There's no power in the law, no power to save, no power to sanctify. It doesn't have the power to compel you the way that God wants you to grow. Go, Christ is the power. Christ is your answer. Christ is the one that will lead you in the way to go. Follow him that way. Go after him. Here's the gospel again to encourage you, brothers and sisters. 1 John 3, 2 and 3, they say this. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Hope in Christ, church. You belong to Christ, dear ones. You are God's beloved children. When Christ returns, your hope is that you will see him as he is and you will be like him. Hope in God. And as you hope in God, you will purify yourself because God himself is pure. Here's some practical counsel to help you chase chastity. This is from me to you. Maybe you won't agree with everything that I say, but my intent is to challenge you with a few things to think about So, because I believe they'll help you. They'll really help you. Get internet blockers at home. And for all cell phones. Covenant Eyes is a good option. Not the only option. Maybe you've got a better one. Tell me about it if you have a better one. Uh, we use uh, Covenant Eyes. Don't watch much TV. Uh, I don't want to say sell your TV. That's just radical. And I'm not going to sell mine. So that uh, would be hypocritical. But don't watch much TV. Before watching a movie, research it on Plugged In or IMDB or Common Sense Media and avoid movies with sexual content. No TVs, computers, or cell phones in your kids' rooms. Uh, those of you who are dating, 
Uh, Don't spend time alone in compromising situations and save as much as you possibly can for marriage. Um, That advice was given to me. Very good advice. Purge your DVD collections of sexual content. Be careful with immodest catalogs, junk mail, and magazines that come to the house. Cancel them if you can. If you get one, call the company, email them. Don't send it here anymore. Uh, Choose swimming suits very carefully with Christ and others in mind. Don't spend time alone with people of the opposite sex like lunches or stopping by the house. That's uh, primarily for for married people, but have others around in your relationships. Guard yourself and protect you. And that even protects you against uh, false accusations and things. Copy your spouse in on emails and texts to those of, of the opposite sex and then allow them, open, welcome them to check your computer and to check your text anytime they want to. Uh, create a safe, patient, and forgiving environment to share openly with your spouse that you can talk openly about these without condemnation, knowing that you're both helping each other. You both have sin problems. You're both helping each other get to Christ and chastity to walk with him. And then talk to your elders if your marriage is strained Um, or worse, at the brink of failure. Don't wait. Get out ahead of it. And so if you're struggling, even if you're struggling with sexual sin, Talk to me. Talk to the elders. This is not a condemning zone here. Um, we're looking to Christ, and we want to help bear one another's burdens. So I'll end with some thoughts on two questions. First, what do we do with past sexual sins? It's a hard question. So you look back over your life, and you feel guilty about how you conducted yourself. You feel guilty about the sexual sins of your past. Take them to Christ. Take them to Christ. Confess them. Receive God's forgiveness and cleansing through faith. Delight in the word and the sacraments as they give you comfort. Draw comfort from those sources that God provides for your comfort. Remember 1 John 1, 7, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin, including sexual sin. Remember Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your past sexual sins do not define you. Saints, Christ defines you. Christ defines you. Take comfort in that. That said, listen carefully. Some sexual sin will require you to confess to those that you sinned against. This takes discernment. But in some cases, we should go back to those we sinned against to have those conversations, to confess, to ask for forgiveness. Those you offended may need healing as well. That takes discernment. Do you need help discerning that? Does that seem so, oh my goodness, Talk to the elders. We'll help you wrestle through what is appropriate and what to do there. Reach out to me. Reach out to an elder. We'll help. Also, and this is important, if you've confessed your past sexual sin, if you're looking to Christ, if you've committed yourself to repentance and purity, 
and made restitution when necessary and when helpful, move forward. Move forward. Don't keep looking back. Look to Christ. Since it has been confessed and since it has been dealt with and is covered by the blood of Christ, don't use our corporate confession times to pull up your past sins and just relive that over and over. Don't do that. That's not what corporate confession, it's already been dealt with, already been confessed. That's not a time to regurgitate all the stuff. Confess the sins of your near past, the ones maybe that you did from last week. We confessed last week, confessed it, all right? That's assuming that it's been dealt with and confessed, that you've already faced it. And, And whenever the memories of those past sins arise, and they will arise, and they come back, and they are strong, go quickly to the gospel. Go to Christ for comfort. That is yours in Christ. You've got to keep going throughout life, relentlessly turning back to Christ. You just won't make it without that. Remind yourself that Christ has made you clean by his blood and by his spirit. Go to the gospel for the comfort. Go to the preach word. Go to the sacraments. All right? What do we do with present sexual struggles? Man, that's a tough question. Present sexual struggles can be so strong, so relentless, so discouraging, so exhausting. And so we need to hear Jesus say to us, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Go to Christ. Go to Christ in the preached word. Go to Christ in the sacraments. Go to Christ in the law and gospel. Let the law expose your sexual struggles and let the gospel remind you of your freedom in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit given you to put off the works, evil works, and to put on Christ. Come to Christ in the sacraments. Let the gospel in your baptism comfort you. Let the gospel in the Lord's Supper comfort you. And if you long for deliverance and you are so stuck in a rut and you feel, I don't see a way out of this. It's just too relentless. Look to Christ. Find comfort in his gospel. Find comfort in the promises of God. There will come a day. Those desires will be gone. Those temptations will be gone. We will be with Christ. Remember the gospel of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, dear ones. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it because he loves you that much. Trust Jesus to provide you the way of escape. It's not magic, folks. It's it's a fight. It's a fight of faith as we depend on Christ. Always remember, dear ones, the victory belongs to the Lord.